The Hear Me Project is an initiative of Carnegie Mellon University's Create Lab. The website for the Create Lab is www.cmucreatelab.org. And the website for Hear Me is www.hear-me.net. For the second year in a row, teens and adult allies from Allegheny County gathered for the Media Empowerment Student Summit. MESS, as we call it, is a day of workshops that focus on media strategies and student empowerment issues. MESS is hosted by Hear Me and coordinated by a regional group of people, universities, and organizations that care about youth power. On today's podcast, we are highlighting one of the most popular sessions, 10-minute talks from teen changemakers. Teens submitted short proposals for their talks to be part of MESS in early October. Before the talk started, we asked a few of them about why they wanted to talk about youth empowerment. Uh, my name is Stephanie Wang, and I'm going to be talking about organizing an event and my experiences with it. Um, well, I've always been really passionate about STEM, and I've always wanted to spread my passion for STEM to other people, especially girls, and that's really how I got the idea for my event. Megan Marmo. Rochelle de Blasio. So our talk is about healthcare transition and giving some beneficial tips and talking about the barriers that youth face as they transition from pediatric to adult healthcare. And we thought that this was a good topic to talk about because we're both currently college students in our freshman years. So we're currently experiencing the, the hardships and also the maybe what things aren't so different. Um, and so we can provide more of a, a perspective, a current perspective. Yeah, my name is Sean Fai. Uh, today I'm going to be talking about um, whether or not technology is the end goal of student-led projects. And um, I wouldn't, I mean, because my projects that I've done over the past four years have been heavily influenced by media, I wanted to discuss whether the end goal is media or still it's just a means to a greater end. Because um, in the projects that I've done, a lot of people have associated me with like a website or associated me with knowing how to design something, but I don't think that tells the whole story. So what inspired me to give this talk was um, of the renewed importance I feel like, uh, I feel that we should all put on human-centered um, human centered projects with um, people that are all passionate about a certain goal or an idea, as opposed to just knowing how to create a website or knowing how to design an Adobe Illustrator like logo. The 10-minute talks are an important part of MESS because they are a chance to hear about young leaders telling their own stories and modeling what youth empowerment processes look like. Each of the speakers tells the story of how they noticed a problem or an opportunity and took action. The first talk was from Jasmine, a student at City High in Pittsburgh. I'm Jasmine, and I'm from City Charter High School downtown Pittsburgh. And actually, I did social media as my graduation project, so I did a lot of research on it and how teens are affected negatively and positively against it. And I just came up with some tips on how people view social media, like getting into college and getting a job, and how social media plays a role in that. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was usage. And as you can see, us teens, we use social media a lot more than we used to, because usually they were made for adults. And it says that 64% of the age group, 14 through 17 year olds, use Facebook, which is a high percentage. And how this actually plays a role in getting into college is college admissions do look at social media profiles. They will look up your Facebook, they will 
search you on Google and if they find anything they can look at it because most of social media is public and I did a search and 12% of applicants were denied last year applying for colleges because their social media accounts were just disgusting and not exactly professional and I took a quote and it says colleges are looking for students with substance and credibility and that goes into say you're writing an essay and your social media account doesn't exactly go along with your essay of how you describe yourself they can call you out on that they'll find it and deny you going into college and employment um, this is a big thing because as you can see below somebody posted a status saying I hate my boss and they're actually friends with their boss on Facebook so <laughs> privacy plays a huge role in social media too and you can actually there's a setting on Facebook where you can make sure that your posts aren't indexed into search engines which I talked about before so you can make sure that when you search your name you can't be found on Google through Google on Facebook you can't that's you can turn that off and then always think about posts that you're putting on social media social media is always updating like I found online that Facebook updates Facebook every two weeks so they update very fast so you should regularly check if there was an update and how they change the privacy settings everyone uh, posts photos everyone posts statuses their information just be careful what information you're allowing to be shared on your profile anything that you wouldn't want anybody to see don't share it while jasmine was talking about the things youth need to be empowered not to do such as post information on social media that can affect college or employment stephanie from peters township talked about how teens are powerful and can do anything she uses the girls in stem conference that she organized in the fall of 2015 as an example my name is stephanie wang and i'm a junior at peters township high school which is about 40 minutes away from pittsburgh i'm an extremely math and science oriented person so i started taking high school math and science classes starting in middle school um, ever since then i've noticed that the number of the number of girls in honors and ap math and science classes is substantially less than the number of boys in these classes for example in a class of 15 students there's only one other girl besides me in my AP calculus class. Now, I'm not one of those people who believe that girls are less oriented or just not smart enough for STEM. I think that the lack of girls in STEM-related fields can be attributed to the fact that girls, especially teenage girls, have these terrible misconceptions about what STEM really is. And to address this, I started planning a free one-day event called the Girls in STEM Conference. My passion has always been STEM, and it's always been my goal to spread my passion for STEM to other people. Freshman year, I joined my robotics team, and, ever, and they've been a massive influence in my life. And when I started planning the conference, I had never really planned anything similar in its size or nature, and it was really uncharted territory for me and a massive learning process. While I had helped out the few community events in the past to my robotics team, I had never really um, taken the driving wheel per se. And the Girls in STEM conference really just started as a vision, a vision of an event that would bring together high school girls and female industry leaders together. And from there, I started planning the logistics of it. I thought about who I would like to contact to speak, when and where I would like to host a conference, the sort of activities I thought would be beneficial to the attendees, and how I could spread the word. Now, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it and tell you that the entire process was easy, because it wasn't. 
There were times when I was so frustrated that I almost wanted to quit and just call the entire event off. But I'm really glad that I didn't. I stuck with it, keeping in mind my vision for the event. And then from there, things began to come together. I reserved a location that I could host the event for free, came up with the final plan for the day's activities, found seven speakers to talk at the event, including a keynote speaker, and networked like crazy to get to spread the word and get help. While planning, I realized that I would need help on the day of the conference to ensure that everything ran smoothly. And thankfully, a few girls that I knew through GirlGov, an organization for high school girls, were happy to help. My conference was covered in the youth section of the Almanac, a local newspaper, and organizations I was a part of also helped me spread the word. Honestly, my biggest fear was that no one would show up besides the speakers and I would literally die of mortification and embarrassment, which is not exactly the most optimistic view, but I have the tendency to worry a lot, as you can probably tell. But because I was so worried that no one would hear about the event or come, I advertised it a crazy amount. I placed flyers literally everywhere I could think of. I placed flyers at my hun local Huntington Learning Center, I um, distributed them at a back-to-school orientation, and hung them up on every single bulletin board I could find. I even placed flyers at a downtown Chinese store. So it really was beneficial, my amount of worrying. About a week before the event, one of my speakers canceled on me, but before I had like a minor breakdown, I remembered that I'd previously exchanged emails with an astrophysicist who had heard about the event and had wanted to get involved. Um, and even though it was under short notice, she was happy, to she agreed to come speak. And so the crisis was averted. Um, ultimately, after four months of planning, the event came. I was nervous out of my mind, and of course, with my luck, I ran into trouble within seconds of arriving at the location of the conference. Uh, the door to the room I was using was locked, and I, I wasn't very familiar with the area as it was at a neighboring community's library. And so I didn't realize that to get the key, I actually had to go to the police station. And this, this was about 15 minutes before the event was starting, and already like speakers and attendees were coming and just waiting outside. And so I, I, was, I was like freaking out, and I literally just dropped everything I had in my hand and just started sprinting in like my business suit and my dress pants and dress shoes. And I probably looked absolutely insane because it was literally 80 degrees outside. But sometime while I was running, I realized that I actually had no clue where the police station actually was. And so I was running for maybe like five or 10 minutes trying to see if I could find it and save myself the embarrassment of going back and asking where it was. Ultimately, I did find it, but it was a good lesson to me to always stay calm and think pragmatically. And I know that sounds obvious, but if I had stayed calm and had the sense to ask where the police station actually was, I definitely would have saved time and unnecessary stress. Besides that, the event went pretty smoothly. The way it was structured was that in the morning, the six speakers would talk, and during lunch, the keynote speaker would talk. And then after that, th there were these breakout sessions, which all the speakers stayed for, and they allowed groups of students to ask individualized questions to each speaker. And the last activity for the day was a challenge where the girls at each table were tasked to work together and collectively brainstorm and present a solution to a given problem. And it was really neat for me to hear all these different takes and ideas to just a single problem that I had never even considered. 
Uh, my hard work in planning the conference was definitely worth it when almost all the girls told me afterwards that they never thought STEM could include or be implied in so many different fields. And it was really great to hear attendees tell me that STEM was so much more exciting than they previously thought. And that was really my goal for the conference. And frankly, it was humbling to see so many students and speakers come and sacrifice their entire Saturday for an event just started by just one teenager. We'll hear from Stephanie again in just a little bit, but before that, we want to talk about the question that Sean, another student speaker, posed in his talk. His question is, is the point of student projects the artifact or the process? Sean uses two examples, his role in the student-run Atlas Business Journal and organizing TEDx youth events. Hi everyone, my name is Sean Fye. I am a senior at Shadyside Academy. We can all agree that technology is essential to not only our everyday lives, but also to our learning. I'm sure each of you has at some point prepared a PowerPoint presentation or taken a computer science class, or maybe even built a website. Today, I'd like to pose the question to you. In these examples, is your carefully designed presentation the end goal? Is your complicated code the finished project? Is your beautiful website the final product? It may seem like it in the moment, as you work up to a deadline, but I challenge you to think beyond the tangible digital content you create. In sharing my own experiences with larger tech-based initiatives, I encourage you to consider the purpose, the use, the use of technology. My ambition to be a leader had unsubstantial beginnings. I wanted to get into good college. I'm not going to lie, uh, that was my initial motivation to join an excessive amount of, amount of clubs at school. What this initial foray into extracurriculars did for me was cultivate my desire to lead. Uh, I was mistaken in the end about these in-school activities being the ticket to college, of course. But in the pursuit of these leadership positions, I connected with people that were frankly uh, doing bigger and better things. The Atlas Business Journal was my first taste of an external, inter-school project that fostered my own passions. At debate camp, after the summer of ninth grade, yes, there are debate camps, I, I met a few upperclassmen that were working on a student-run news media outlet. To me, the concept sounded amazing. It was unique, high-tech, and collaborative. I befriended them, and uh, as the young, ambitious underclassman that I was, I finagled my way into the project. I didn't have many skills I felt I could contribute at that point, but I tried to learn as much as possible about strong analysis, this was helped by my budding debate career, and online optimization of media. We launched our online platform in August of 2013, right before I entered sophomore year. As we brought on more writers from around the country by extending opportunities across Facebook and social circles, I slowly began to take on more responsibility. And by the beginning of last year, I'd assumed the role of editor-in-chief. The other founders had gone to college at this point, and it was time for me to take over. I have helped to grow the site's media presence, attracting 23,000 Facebook likes and thousands of Twitter followers, and I've developed an accompanying iPhone application for the site in 2014. At the end of the day, the Atlas Business Journal turned into and continues to function as a news outlet written, managed, and read by students. We exist to promote intellectual discourse amongst our own generation. But how did I get to this point over the three-year life of the site? Before I be, uh, made strategically sound decisions, I'll begin by telling you guys about my mistakes. They're a lot more interesting. Uh, the biggest mistake I made at the beginning was prioritizing friends over passionate people. I made the mistake once I had more responsibility within the Atlas Business Journal of giving leadership to some of my friends who weren't as passionate about the vision of the project. But I realized that in order to legitimize the journal, I'd have to assign leadership uh, by merit and commitment, not personal relationships. Otherwise, I'd alienate the students I had never met in real life, but were interested in writing for us. It had to be a fair game. 
I'm glad I learned this early on and it continued to play an important role as I assumed other projects. Most importantly, I learned how to use WordPress. That's the black W at the top corner of the screen. WordPress remains the only tool that can produce professional websites without having to learn HTML. Almost every major media company uses WordPress to power their sites. And especially with the Atlas Business Journal, we needed a backend that would allow different writers different levels of access to the site design and functions while allowing them to submit articles for editing and or publishing depending on their uh, tier of leadership within the Atlas Business Journal. Uh, this tiered approach helped to foster one of the core principles of the site, a geographically diverse team. Expanding our journal could only occur naturally if we brought in the circles being exposed to the media we were producing. To put it simply, we had to bring on students from every location and every background. We gained credence as an organization, espousing a variety of viewpoints while building our social media following at the same time. The Atlas Business Journal, as I said before, continues to be successful. Right now, I am doing what the seniors before me did, helping younger kids to commandeer the project after this year. But as I helped to bring the ABJ to where it is now, I started something bigger to utilize the skills I had gained. The event is TEDx Youth at Shadyside. After spending the summer and fall after my junior year working as the financial coordinator of TEDx Youth at Hot Metal Bridge, I decided to start my own TEDx event. I saw Hot Metal Bridge uh, started by Sophia Sterling Angus of uh, Ellis, she's now at Stanford as a freshman. I saw it as an important first step, but I wanted to expand the range of speakers, host the event in a much larger venue, and bring on more powerful sponsors to help back us. And to achieve these goals, I had to utilize the technical experience with the Atlas Business Journal and my earlier experience with Hot Metal Bridge gave me. From the day after I received the license to host the event in early May, I knew I needed a professional website to attract sponsors and secure a venue, paving the way for better speakers. Through the Atlas Business Journal, I had learned the importance of website design. Again, this is where WordPress comes into play. I built the website in about two weeks, but this is where I ran into my first problem. See the TEDx logo at the very top? Uh, my friends at TEDx Central don't provide that for you. In an almost perfect way to weed out who should and shouldn't be managing one of these events, TEDx gives you an Adobe Illustrator file to customize yourself. So I had to learn Illustrator too. I dove into Illustrator tutorials, um, learning how to build headers, design posters, and most importantly, customize my TEDx logo. The skill complemented my WordPress abilities as I could now insert clean, original headings pictures, and logos into the site. Illustrator, after WordPress, became the second most important tool I had learned to use at use engaged in a student-run project. It gave me flexibility, allowing me independence from a professional graphic designer. Like, okay, my skills weren't professional, but they got the job done. The formation of the team, like with the Atlas Business Journal, was also paramount in our success. Early on, I knew I wanted to capture the same essence the ABJ has, which is diversity. While the localized nature of the event restricted whom I could ask to join, I tried to uphold the same standards that I did with the Atlas Business Journal. I found students from around the Pittsburgh region to, to, region to volunteer and join the team, adding geographical and social diversity for when we need to do heavy speaker and attendee recruiting down the road. And that we did. Our extended network allowed us to connect with numerous sponsors and speakers, and every team member, most importantly, shares a passion to bring amazing people to youth our age. This leads me back to my original question. What drives complex student projects these days? Man or machine? Looking at my experiences, it seems the question is easily answered. The Atlas Business Journal consists of a website and an app made up of online articles. Media is the ostensible endpoint. TEDx Youth at Shadyside, other than December 5th, the day of the event, 
exists solely as an online entity filled with content and videos and press releases. So multimedia has defined this event too. But that isn't the whole story or even close to it. I firmly believe that technology, even embedded as deeply into the entities I've developed, is still a means to a greater end. Behind the words on the screen is a writer passionate about a political topic. The journal gets that idea out in the form of an article and sparks discussion amongst the writer's friends and acquaintances. Our TEDx team is united by a desire to proliferate knowledge to our fellow Pittsburgh students. It is a common banner under which we unite ourselves, using the event as a means of building relationships with local businesses, entrepreneurs, and speakers from every category. Behind these sexy WordPress sites and slick Facebook pages and numerous Google Forms is a person that is reading, designing, and building content. I don't run the Atlas Business Journal. I lead a group of politically active minors. I don't run TEDx Youth at Shadyside. I unite myself with passionate designers, marketers, producers, and volunteers that love what they do. In both cases, the technological infrastructure is useless without people that share your passion, whatever that may be. I will leave you with this. In whatever you choose to pursue in the future, spend more time on incorporating humans that care about what you're passionate about as opposed to building up and perfecting a website. Technology remains the means, not the end. Thank you. While Sean is advocating for the relationships, passion, and connections that are the creation of technology that connects people, two college freshmen teamed up to talk about ways that technology and advocacy support the transition for young people leaving pediatric health care for adult health care. First, here's Megan from Carlo University describing the transition. Healthcare transition typically is when um, a young adult transitions from pediatric to adult health care and is looking for new providers, looking for providers that accept their insurance, looking at locations based on transportation and where you're located. And so a lot of factors go into play when you're making that transition. And for us and for other people, especially college is another factor whenever you're making. And transition isn't just a one-time process. I mean, for us, it's something that occurs um, when you're done with high school going into college. There's, you know, another transition from college to um, a little bit later as an adult. Or for some people, maybe it's that kind of one-time transition from pediatric to an adult care provider, and that's who you have for life or if you move. So it's always very adaptable and varies based on the person and their individual needs, but it's still a process. So there's kind of one common underlying theme of advocacy. So learning to become your own advocate when it comes to your health care. So learning to gather information, but whenever you're at the doctor's office, you know, speaking up for yourself. When you're younger, your parents have to take on that role, and so the doctor might directly look to them. But even just those minor kind of um, cues of, okay, you know, versus mom talking or dad talking right away or someone else, I'm going to step in and sort of say what's going on because it's my body where someone else can only kind of relay information you have shared with them. And then a lot of parents might stay in the room, um, but even just learning to have that conversation with your provider, even if it's like five minutes of the appointment on your own, just to kind of build those skills and begin to think about how can you do this independently and take control. 
Megan and Rochelle also researched a list of barriers and tools that young people can use, including provider websites. Um, so we actually did, we brainstormed a list of different barriers that we are currently facing, we have faced, uh, maybe we talked to some other people who are facing them. And um, so just to touch on a few of them. Um, so whenever you're in college, you know, you first of all, you have to schedule your own classes. So that's something that's totally different. Um, you have to, you're, you have extracurriculars, maybe you have a job, but now you're in charge of scheduling your, you know, your midnight to midnight schedule. And so one of the problems that um, we found was whenever you're trying to schedule a doctor's appointment and you're in college, how are you going to balance all that? Um, because I know our student health services closes at four for walk-in. So you have to make sure you have that time that if you need it, that you could go there. And even, you know, through the use of media or websites or, you know, whatever, how to even gather that information as how do I make an appointment or what are the guidelines that the school follows? And so kind of just learning the, the ways of the land. Mm -hmm. And so some of the things that we've heard others talk about that are beneficial, um, apps are incredibly useful in being used um, in terms of like self-advocacy, even writing a list of like notes on your phone and taking them in to make sure you're staying on track and making sure everything that you need covered at your appointment gets done, especially for like medication refills. So you leave having that taken care of. And I've also found that using, um, if you have a phone, a smartphone that has a calendar built into it, really utilizing that calendar and re religiously plugging in different times and different appointments, because you will always have that calendar with you. It will become invaluable um, whenever you're trying to schedule your appointment, say, oh, I have a class, I can't miss that, um, you know, I have a meeting here. So really taking advantage of what's offered to you. And I mean, it comes on your phone anyway, why not take advantage of it? Again, we're current students, we're current freshmen, so we haven't navigated the whole system yet, but just more of a youth perspective on, um, you know, if, you're go if you look at too much of an adult perspective, maybe you kind of forgot about those little transition um, nuances, but then um, we hope that, you know, we gave you some tips that are more current and um, that we found yeah. really helped. Thank you. Okay. Thank you all. Any questions? We want to leave you in this episode with some thoughts on power of youth voice and youth storytelling. And well, we think Stephanie tells it best. Here she is again. It's really, it's really neat that I could have changed several girls' perceptions and ideas about STEM. And that's the power of youth-led events. You have the power to influence minds, to change perceptions, and to even bring about change in your communities. And that feeling of empowerment is just mind-blowing. To conclude, don't believe any adult who says that youth don't have any power, because you guys most definitely do. You guys are smart, innovative, and creative, and you think of ideas an adult may have never even thought of or considered. You're passionate individuals who want to see change in your community, and, and that gives you power.
We want to send an extra special thank you to our friends at Pittsburgh Filmmakers Youth Media for loaning us some equipment for MESS and for this podcast. To see more about MESS 2015, search social media for the hashtag MESSPGH. Don't forget to check out the many awesome students and projects featured in this podcast, including the December 5th TEDx Youth Shady Side event at the August Wilson Center, the atlasbusinessjournal.org for the millennial take on news, and definitely don't forget to subscribe to our Hear Me podcast. This episode was our last podcast of 2015, so it's a great time to catch up on any episodes that you missed. We'll be back in January with the next podcast featuring youth perspective on the search for a new superintendent in Pittsburgh Public Schools. Someone who's not biased about what they think should happen, like shouldn't only go by what they think, go by, like take suggestions from other people. That's next time on the Hear Me Podcast. Down.